beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. All right, Graham, thank you. So you're here at FITC. You just finished up your talk, which thank was... Uh, how did the talk go? Really well, I think, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've given it a couple of times in the past, but you always try and mix it up and try and sort of personalize it for the, for the event, so... Um, they told me I had a full house, so that's always a good thing. Oh, nice. Well yeah. done. Yeah. Are they laughing at your jokes, too? And like uh, Yeah, they, they, some of them fell all right. Like, I always worry. with the, <laughs> like, yeah. You don't want to be that guy where you get tumbleweed, but um, yeah. it seemed to go all right. <laughs> oh, good. That's really good. I don't want to give away your talk too much, but you have that. It's a Spanish lottery yes. commercial. And it's interesting because there's only a few parts that are kind of in Spanish, right? Yeah. But the emotion of it, you can kind of connect with that yeah. right away. And that's really cool, like, that you can use an international commercial basically yeah for an english audience like here in toronto for fitc exactly and i, I picked the, i mean i could have used a million examples in, in place of that mm -hmm. um the reason i chose that one for is for a number of things the first one is it, it wasn't by us i didn't want to have it too by no one likes again branded content we don't want to like force the brand down people's throats so i was i wanted for the first film to be very clear that it was wasn't by us um, I'm not trying to promote anything. I'm not trying to, you know, trick anybody. The fact that it was international as well, because there was no... It, first off, it was an animation. And the second thing is there was no dialogue anywhere through it. So the music and the story are what stands out. So that's why, as an example of good storytelling, that's why I chose that one. Yeah, it reminds me of Up. The yeah, perfect. The I mean, so emotional. Yeah. So I, and again, the reason why it's a good example to use in that place is because the amount, it's a personal story, it's a human story, full of emotion, and it only touches upon the actual brand and the, and the product and the service, mm -hmm. but so powerful. You touched on uh, branded content. For anybody who's not familiar with this term, um, you're gonna use a number of terms, I think, as yeah. we <laughs> talk. Because I mean, that means different things to different people as sure. well. So from your perspective, what is what exactly is branded content? Okay. What does that mean? Yeah, so branded content for us is content that lives on the New York Times, but has been paid for and posted by a brand. So obviously to keep our sort of journalistic integrity, we can't be seen to be influenced by outside you know, donors or anything. Or And that's why you know, as, as, as neutral as we can be, you know, it's, we can't be like, you know, they paid you a million to talk about their product in a good light. So we re it has to be church and state. It has to be, this is editorial and this is sponsored content. Now, what we try and do is make sure that our sponsored content is on the same level in terms of quality, tone, and the voice that, that, that we use. That New York Times standard. Exactly, yeah. We call it a sort of timesian effect because our audience come to our platform to experience this. So if we deliver something else, it's a disservice to them, really. Yeah. When you're talking about we, you're talking about T-Brand Studio. Mm -hmm. Give us a breakdown of what the T-Brand Studio is and like how that got kind of formed. Yeah, okay, so we started, about, I think it was about five years ago in New York, and basically it's a mix of uh, mostly in-house, so we've got designers, um, developers, writers, um, videographers, animators, pretty much everything um, all within one roof. And then it expanded internationally a few years ago and myself um, and a couple of other people from the States that had come over started in London. Yeah, pick up on the accent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was that was 2015. And then very quickly we grew. So we're now 25 plus. Um, we've got offices in Paris, Hong Kong. And our job there was to sort of um, grow the brand internationally. Mm -hmm. And as a studio, like I say, our, our 
our role is to create content that meets the New York Times standard, which isn't always easy. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I have a couple examples um, of some of the work you guys have done. Yeah. Uh, one of them is uh, for Spotify. You had how accurate are 2017's hit songs. Yeah. And you had kind of like visual graphics and stuff, and you broke down like an Ed Sheeran song and things yeah. like that. For Netflix, uh, you had a really cool article graphics thing for mm-hmm. um, 13th Amendment, and that was called From the Plantation to Prison. Yeah. And you actually even like reference some of the old time, like New York Times oh, kind times. of. Yeah. So how, what's the process like? So Netflix or Spotify comes to you and they're like, we like you guys. You guys do a lot of cool graphics, mm-hmm. a lot of cool colors. Uh, we have this movie 13th Amendment or we have some teen hit songs. How does this now like how does the pitch work and how does it sure. like how do you guys decide what to do? Yeah. Well, I mean, first off, I can't take credit for either of those programs. They were done uh, by the New York studio. But I mean, they're just great um, case studies for us um, and two very different ones as well when you think about it. The New York Times, I guess, is known for sort of, you know, it's serious documentary style, you know, very sort of um, authentic storytelling. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that for companies like Spotify, we can't have a little bit of fun as well. And and really, the, because our audience is so diverse, it means that the way that we tell our stories can be diverse as well. So usually a client will come to us with a sort of RFP and they'll say, you know, we want to promote X. So it might be a service, it might be a product, it might be, you know, anything really. They sometimes will come to us with an idea in mind of how they want to promote it. And what we try and do is, well, first of all, what are you trying to achieve by promoting this? You know, what will deem this partnership a success? Then we figure out the story. So a lot of times, I touched upon this in the talk, is clients will come to us and say, we want a VR film or we want, you know, AR or whatever the latest, you know, trend is. They like the shiny toys. Yeah, and who doesn't, you know, everyone likes it. But what we try and steer clear of is gimmicks. You know, we don't want to do it for the sake of doing it. We take a step back and we say, what is the story first? You know, how, how can we tell this story in the most effective way? Then we figure out how to tell it and what the execution should be. When you are assembling the, the information, like I know you said you didn't work on it, but like uh, the one for the Thirteenth Amendment had some real graphics, uh, sorry, real statistics and stuff like that. And I know one of the one of the aspects of the New York Times is the interactive news team, which gets a lot of raw data, mm-hmm. and then that gets funneled to the graphics team. They graphic it all up and do infographics and things like that. Sure. That go with the legit journalism. Are you guys also drawing resources from, or like the raw data from the interactive news team as well? So it's like, is that where some of the source yeah. comes from? No, well, no, actually. So because it is so church and state, like we can't draw on resources from the newsroom. So we can't usually use editors or writers or resource from the newsroom to use in our editorial because it kind of blurs the lines a little bit. That's not to say we can't use the learnings that they give us. Okay, so they might do a particular data visualization that uses this platform or, you know, like a particular um, kind of visualization. And we can we can borrow that style of storytelling in our own. Um, one thing that's really interesting is the trend recently is years ago, we used to do very, very interactive and um, kind of like exploratory data visualizations where you really had to dig deep and come up with your own conclusions. What we found, and again, the newsroom found this out first, but we sort of borrowed it, is that if you make it too complicated for the user, then they're likely gon- not going to engage with it at all. So simplicity is the key, especially with people think, oh, complex data um, visualizations have to be have to look complex. It's really the wrong way around. You know, the more complex the data is, the simpler you have to um, visualize it. 
it, I mean, it kind of echoes a little bit like what a journalist does. Sometimes yeah. the situation can be very complex, like Israel or something. Yeah. And you you have to somehow boil it down so that people understand like what this means or what Trump's latest decision actually means and who's going to impact. Exactly. Even though there's like all these kind of nuances and things. Yeah, and it's what when the reader or when the viewer or you know when they've taken in this piece of content what is the end game what do you want them to leave this piece of content with is it knowledge do you want to educate them is it you know entertainment you know the 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 spotify one you don't really want to know if the, the lyrics in pop songs is you know it's not going to benefit your knowledge in any way but you get entertained because it's a uh, you know, a, a good way to spend your time. And is that how you're defining success then? Like, this is marketing. Mm -hmm. So in the, in the traditional marketing, like especially back in the day, you would do a commercial, a TV commercial or something, a billboard, mm -hmm. and then you would hope that you sell like 10% more Coke or something. Yeah. Um, so when Spotify or Netflix or whoever comes to you now and they're like, all right, let's do this like funky, cool graphics <laughs> and like this really cool story. Like, what? how are you defining success? Is it just entertainment as part of it? or Kind of. and I mean, it all depends on what the brand wants to get out of it. You know, is it just brand awareness? It, you know, do they just want to, you know, um, be in front of our audience's eyes? Sometimes our clients will say, right, well, we, we, want, um, we want your readers to come through to our website, right? So we'll tell them branded content probably isn't the best form of, best way to spend your money. If you, if you want people, our readers and our audience to drive to your website, then creating a piece of content that they have to sort of engage with and then leave might not be the best solution. You might be better with like a, you know, an ad campaign or something like that. So again, it's just thinking of what is the, the, the brand and what is the, the, the client trying to achieve with it all. Yeah. How did you end up at the, the T-Brand studio? Like you said, this is like some of these things were obviously been kind of going along before you. Mm -hmm. So how did you end up joining the party? Well, I guess, yeah, like I said, the, the studio started a good few years before I joined. And then they decided that they needed a presence internationally. Um, so a little sort of core team was formed that I was part of. Um, we had an editor come on board. Um, we had one of the original members of the T-Brand NY team come over to sort of start this team. Um, yeah, we have an editor, a producer, and myself as a creative director. So really, that, that, that the original four was how we started out. Um, we thought that we'd have you know maybe six months to sort of find our feet, and we didn't. We sort of jumped right in, sold a load of programs, you know, smashed all our targets, and then in our second year, our targets got you know doubled, and we thought, well, what have we done? Yeah. <laughs> you know, why have we set the bar so high? And then in our second year, we, we you know, we, we did really well as, as well. Never be the guy who knows how to use Excel in the office, yeah, right? Then yeah, you get that's it. <laughs> then you get all the Excel work. Ridiculous, yeah. yeah. I mean, luckily, we've got big data teams that do it all for us. And, and well, I say do, do it all with us. You know, um, some of the cleverest people I've ever met are part of those teams. But my journey came from there. And my, in the past, I mean, I actually started out writing music for film. That was my original sort of calling, I guess, in a past life. And then... Um, slowly transitioned into design and film and animation. And I guess as creative director, you need an insight into all the different mediums, really. I've met plenty of creative directors who are amazing at what they do, but just at what they do. I guess I prefer to have sort of fingers in a lot of pies and, and um, knowledge of as many different areas. I get bored very quickly, basically. <laughs> but it makes sense, though, because if... If all these different companies are coming to you, like I just mentioned, like Spotify, Netflix, right off the bat, mm -hmm. if all these different companies are coming to you and you have to promote a film or some sort of new AI or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. 
you kind of almost need to have uh, a background or perspective on each of these different disciplines and different mediums yeah. so that you know what they're trying to achieve, right? Exactly. Go back to that. And there's that saying, isn't it? It's something like, you know, if the only tool you've got is a hammer, then every problem looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. And we, we still fall into that trap a little time, uh, a lot of the time. You know, we, we get a brief in. It might be similar to another brief that we've got. And we think, what type of film can we make? Because we know that a film would do well. But then it's like, is there any other way we can tell this story? Let's take, again, like, take a step back. Like, what is unique to this story and how can we tell this in a unique way? What can, you know, get the most interest and tell this in the, in the best possible way for engagement. Picking up on that thread of engagement, uh, I touched upon like traditional marketing, which was the old school billboard and the TV commercial and mm -hmm. things like that. And you are now kind of doing this whole like branded content. Are, are marketing companies themselves kind of understanding it and getting what it is that you do? Or is there still reluctance on their part? Or do they need to have a smaller budget sometimes? Because they sometimes want to go big, this whole yeah. Super Bowl commercial, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, Branded content should never be, you know, we're not saying it's the be all and end all out of advertising, it's gonna replace these things. It should work as part of your um, strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and again, part of our remit as a studio in the early days was to educate, uh, you know, the, the, these other markets. Um, the US is slightly ahead in terms of perception of branded content, whereas Europe and especially parts of Asia still think of it as just a, a bigger ad space. So are you talking about the marketers or the people who are like the consumers? Both really, like the, the, the just the markets as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, clients and publishers um, can sometimes miss the point of what branded content is there to do. And again, we're not saying, you know, stop doing ads or stop doing TV, stop doing print. We still do a lot of print, um, sponsored print stories. Um, what we're saying is this is another tool that you can have in your arsenal mm -hmm. and can be an effective way to get the results that you want. And what kind of uh, results or reactions, like you can monitor obviously some of the reactions that mm -hmm. people are getting either through comments and things like that. Do people kind of like it? Are they getting it? Does it kind of do what you say, like build awareness into yeah. the movie or whatever it is? Yeah, well we've got a really great audience development team and they can sort of dig deep into exactly how well a particular piece is performed. And they look at things like, you know, engagement time, dwell time, scroll depth, scroll rates, the quartile of a film, you know, how much is viewed. Mm -hmm. um, they do sometimes do like A-B testing on certain headlines and, and particular pieces of content. So really digging into how the piece performs isn't just about the content. It's about how it's presented to the audience as well. And usually, most of the time, you know, it does... They, they get there in the end you know it's not it's not a case of we put it live and it's like let's just sit and wait and see how it performs it's mm -hmm. a continual process in in tweaking it and getting it to perform um, to the best of its ability and how long does something like like what how long is the campaign for something like this or yeah. like how long does it last right because you got to go on to the next thing right yeah i mean every piece of content we create lives in for eternity on, on the New York Times, it'll never get taken down for as long as the New York Times is there. So, and we've seen we've seen uh, spikes in traffic, you know, six months later after a flight has ended. So usually when we launch a piece, it'll be accompanied by a sort of promotional campaign or uh, you know um, media that will promote it. The big push. Yeah, and that'll that'll you know get the, get the audience in that that want to see it. Um, but we've had programs before that um, we ran a program for Philips that was about 
um, COPD and breathing difficulties because they were promoting their healthcare range. So we did this film about, I say, the Royal We. This was um, the New York team. They did a film about this uh, cyclist in the Alps that you know, and he wore this sort of mi mask that mimicked how someone with COPD would feel on this um, journey. And then we found like six months later, someone mentioned it in a forum and it, the, a big spike of traffic again. So these things really do have a way of sort of evolving and, and having a sort of everlasting lifespan. You touched upon, um, as long as the New York Times is around, what's the attraction, I guess, as a marketer, going to the New York Times as opposed to say BuzzFeed or something yeah. else, like some of the other companies that are currently out there? You've just got to look at the audience really. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not here to say, you know, everyone should come to the New York Times because sometimes probably our audience isn't the right eyes to put it in front of. But, you know, we've got one of the largest audiences in the world. Our tagline is we sort of influence the influential. So there's a lot of C-suite audience. We, we reach like, you know, very, very affluent people. And people, when they come to the New York Times, want to um, be uh, in, in relationships with these types of people so again I, you know sometimes you might be better off going to BuzzFeed for the for the thing that you, you wanted to promote um, but a lot of the times the audience that the New York Times has is so varied and so sort of um, uh, high in quality as well that um, it really can be a gold mine for advertisers and in terms of being a gold mine for the New York Times is this a great source of revenue as well because there's this whole thing now of like, because uh, journalism is trying to do paywalls and different mm. kind of formats and stuff like that. And some people have had more success than others, mm -hmm. obviously. But is this, you're dealing with marketing in a sense. So this is kind of almost replacing classifieds and some of the things that yeah. uh, traditional paper would have back in the day. Sure. So is this a good enough, or this is a possible revenue source for the New York Times? Yeah, I mean, we, again, we, you know, the studio is very, very successful mm -hmm. in terms of its advertising department. That being said, the New York Times still makes more revenue from its um, subscribers than it does from advertising. I think we've got over three million now subscribers, and it's not cheap a lot of the time. You know, they, they, it can cost you know a thousand dollars to to subscribe to the New York Times. So that really demonstrates that the the audience's belief in the content that we produce. So again, that just makes my job as in on the branded content side all that much harder. There's a higher levels of quality to hit <laughs> <laughs> yes and i just want to pick up one last thread before we kind of switch the topic a little bit but part of the team as well is journalists right because this is the other aspect i want to pick up on because there's the idea that uh journalism or newspapers are kind of struggling to figure out revenue which you just addressed but the other aspect is that a lot of newsrooms are laying off journalists and they mm -hmm. have to look for different jobs or different types of careers and you kind of just said that too you kind of transitioned from like film to this kind of stuff yeah uh, but your team actually does have some journalists on there, right? Of course, yeah. I mean, and again, these we we have to hit the same levels of quality as the newsroom. So right. the, the New York Times has got the best journalists in the world. So it's only fair that our branded content should have that as well. And because we can't use journalists from the newsroom, a lot of our journalists on the studio have got backgrounds in other publications, um, other publishers around the world, and really... You know they're 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 there to try and emulate the quality of of the newsroom, and they're the backbone of the team. Really, you know, people come to the New York Times for good quality journalism, whether that's paid for or, or not. As a film, like you said, you did some uh, film scores and stuff yeah. back in the day. Um, do you still do some music stuff now, or kind of? It's more of like a 
a, a hobby more than anything else, just because of time, really. Um, but yeah, like I said before, it's, as soon as you stop doing something, you kind of miss the boat. So it's I try and keep you know a, a little you know um, interest in all these different areas, but um, I don't really have the time these days. Yeah, how are you balancing? Like, there's a great deal of information that you must be sorting through to kind of mm-hmm. a just do your job, but then b you're also interested in all this stuff too. Yeah. So it's almost like there's no off switch then, right? Or like, yeah. how are you balancing all this kind of flow? Yeah, I used to st- I used to say to like my family and stuff when I was writing music, like I- I'd be doing this whether I was getting paid or not. Like you know, if and when I started getting into web design and stuff like that, that was all stuff that I was doing in the evenings, like wasn't getting paid for, or was getting promised to be paid and <laughs> never was. So like, yeah. like most students and people starting off in their careers. So it's really cliche, but this, I, it doesn't feel like work. You know, it's like I'm just doing what I love. And that's really what strive makes you strive to keep going. You know, it's not like a, a, a dread Mondays or anything like that. I get, I've probably got one of the best jobs in the world. I get to make just cool shit for a living. and That should be on your business card. Yeah, yeah, I just might make cool shit for yeah. a living. Yeah, <laughs> just put on your business card. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if the New York Times will buy into it, but <laughs> run and buy on one. I'll make my own business yeah, card. Run and buy when you go in on Monday in the office. Run and buy them. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there is a lot of competing arguments sometimes, and it's like, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to make cool shit, like mm-hmm. stuff that I would be interested in. Um, we did we did a program in, the, in our first year for a company called Statoil, an energy company, and their tagline is, we see energy differently. And they wanted to promote a couple of these different initiatives. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we took each of the initiatives, but we created like an anamorphic scene. So we overlaid 3D graphics onto existing footage. But if, and as you tilted the iPad or you moved the phone using the gyroscope, these 3D objects would align and create a message oh, on the screen. Yeah. Um, kind of experimental. Wasn't like crazy, you know, like first of its kind, but it was um, it was different enough. And I guess you could call it a little bit gimmicky, but it was intrigue, like caused a bit of a stir because it was like, oh, what what what's going on here? And it's stuff like that, like that. So many other people would have just gone, oh, well, let's do a film, or I just want to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you kind of made a face a little bit when you said gimmicky. Is that kind of like one of your like uh, no nos, or you kind of like? Well, it's got to be relevant. Like it w- the difference between something being gimmicky and sort of innovative is the relevancy to the story. Like this probably wouldn't have worked for any other story because this was about seeing something differently. So you see this scene that's seemingly made up of random objects, but once you see it from a certain perspective. You see the message, and that's a metaphor for the story itself. So it could be gimmicky, but it it worked because it was relevant, and I think that's the key. Some people miss that completely. Some people were like, let's do a VR film. It's like, well, why? Like, what, what does that add? Why is it relevant? And mm-hmm. You know, that's the key, really. It's kind of like a little bit like Batman's utility belt, right? <laughs> like, you want to kn- pull out the right tool at the right exactly, time. Yeah. Uh, but it can be overwhelming because there's so many tools now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I said earlier, a lot of clients come to us, well, we want VR. And it's like, well, fine. But that limits your sort of audience. You know, if you're looking to reach people on their, you know, commuting to work, nobody's going to start getting out, you know, Google Cardboards and start, <laughs> you know. So, and again, who, who is it that you're trying to um, promote to? So it's just take again, just taking a step back, looking, thinking what the story is, and then finding the right way to execute it, I think. 
And uh, when the brands come to you, other than asking for VR, do they know what their story is? Some do. Yeah, I mean, some have got a really good idea. It's not like, it's really sort of, again, it's kind of popular to say, oh, you know, clients ruin our work and they suck all the art- artistry out of it. Some of them don't. Some of the, I've worked with some really, really creative clients and it, the partnership has been amazing. And that's the key, really, is, is making it a partnership. We try not to say, here's the product, buy it, and then thank you, job mm-hmm. done, we've got your money. Yeah. Off. What we prefer to say is, look, this is the kind of idea that I think would be relevant for the, your your message. Let's work together on getting those lines as close to each other as possible and so we can really hit the target and making them fi- making them feel that they're as much responsible for this as, as, as we are. That's cool. I just want to wrap up. I did touch upon the fact that you are a music guy and a film guy. Yeah. Uh, and you're out in the UK. Um, are there any kind of uh, cool films that you've been digging lately or something that you're looking forward to? Or uh, Cool films. Uh, well, obviously, I'm, I'm a big movie geek when it comes to like Marvel stuff. So Event- Infinity War is coming out. Um, yeah. I saw Ready Player One. Yeah, that's that was just, a lot of fun. Yeah, Some really cool g- graphic stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, really good. And again, you could probably watch that a million times and not get all of the, all of the references in that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a good film that's been getting good reviews uh, a quiet place yeah um yeah. emily blunt and that's right yeah, yeah it's a horror kind of film yeah. yeah and i liked things like that like i've got you know like um a little bit of a hook um so yeah i'm looking forward to them have you seen the um you know how like they have movie posters and i'll have like quotes from yeah. like uh critics and people and stuff like that did you see the one for the quiet place i didn't see it no the letters for each of the quotes for they got for the critics and stuff it says uh S T F U. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like they write it down. So they write the first oh, guy says right. so, something yeah, that yeah, starts I with see. S, and then the second guy starts with like, and so but they they colored the letters, the initial letters S T F U, in a different color than the rest <laughs> of the. So you because it's a quiet place. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. So it's kind of like that's a graphic that I, yeah. I think you would appreciate that. I love that. Yeah, I like. And again, it's like I guess they're sort of Easter eggs within the, the marketing. I, just touching on Ready Player One as well, if you see the Ready Player One logo, mm-hmm. it's actually a maze. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a little a, egg. There's a little egg in the middle, so it's like a metaphor for the whole sh- the, the movie as a whole. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just great. Like, yeah. I love stuff like that. And, I mean, nowadays, too, the other thing is, like, uh, you mentioned being a Marvel guy. Like, the superhero movies now especially, they've kind of um, they've moved the advertising up a little bit now. It's like, tomorrow we're going to release a poster, and that'll be one big tweet, one yeah. big day, and then... They have a little teaser that tomorrow they're going to release a trailer. They have a trailer filled the trailer. It's right. crazy. Yeah, and so it's like this longer kind of marketing campaign to yeah. kind of pick up on some of the work you're talking about and doing, right? It's totally changed now. Yeah, I mean, the trailer release is sometimes like just as big as the, you know, the, the launch day of the film. It's nuts. One thing that, what, and again, one thing that's tough with stuff like that is ruining, the, like taking it too far, though, like ruining the film. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if you've seen the S- Civil War. Yeah, I've seen all the Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how cool would it? Be? Everyone knew that Spider Man was going to be in that film. Mm-hmm. Before the going, in. how cool would it have been if you're just watching this Marvel mo- movie and then Spider Man jumped out and you didn't know anything about it? Yeah, that'd have been amazing. But you know, it's spoiler land these days. But it, it goes both ways. I mean, part of it is like you said, it's marketing, right? So it's like. Yeah, I mean, th- that was the reason why so many people went to see it. Mm-hmm. So I, I bet the marketing guys were like, you know. We got to pimp this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I think it was, a, it was a good example a while back for the, one of the last Terminator films where, spoiler alert, John Connor turned out to be a, a, a machine. Mm-hmm. 
and that was revealed in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I think half the, the filmmakers were like, I can't believe they're just, you know, how far can it go? Are they going to just give all the secrets away yeah. just to get people in? It's like, I already pretty much know what the Infinity War storyline's yeah, going to be. Yeah. <laughs> there are like rom-com kind of trailers too, where like they kind of give you the whole yeah, movie. Yeah, the whole plot. Yeah. Right? In like a two-minute so thing. I bet I know how this is going to end. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, all right, well, I guess that movie looks all right. I saw it, I guess. <laughs> It's weird, though, with the Marvel movies, to go back to that, is that even after they've done, like, almost 10 years of movies, people are still getting up and leaving mm-hmm. during the credits. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, how much more marketing do you have to... Like, you, it's every consistent movie. Yeah. There's at least two scenes now. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the, the reason is, you know, they don't... They make the, the films for the for the fans, but it's the appeal is so broad. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Everyone, all of my family have seen Marvel films and stuff, and some of them... You know, might just see one of them, and they're not—they don't know the the whole interconnected history and everything else. That the, there's such a broad appeal that it doesn't really matter if you don't know about it. And again, they've done well not to go too niche. The, you know, so that you could fall into the trap of let's mine all of these geeky comic book guys and you know make it super relevant to them, but then you're missing the point for the wider audience. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite character in the Marvel movies? Favorite character. It's probably one of the hardest questions I've yeah. asked you, isn't it? Oh, God, I can't even think now. Uh, I'm not really sure. No, no, I don't, I don't have... I like um, Groot. Okay, yeah. yeah. Just because, like, that, even that film as a whole, really, when you think about it, if you'd have said to someone six months previous, we're going to do a film about a talking raccoon, <laughs> huge tree, yes. like a green woman, and everything else. And, and again, um, oh, what's, his, what's his name? Oh, Peter Quill? Or? No, no, the big guy who's... who's oh, said um, shoot, I'm drawing a blank too. Drax. Drax, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he takes everything literally. I mean, it's just so nuts. But yeah. But James Gunn, the director, he, he did such a good job. And it's like, now, th- those pi- those characters are so... How it, how crazy is it that you can be so relatable to a, a talking tree that only ever says three words? And <laughs> a, a main character who's going around with a Walkman when I don't yeah. even know millennials even know what yeah, that is. Know, and well, like, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah, I know that one is Guardians especially is a huge surprise because it, it's like it barely sells as a comic book really before that yeah. movie kind of came out and so for that to have huge success and crossover well I, I've never read comic comic books really I just love films mm-hmm. so and again what a gamble for Marvel could have like you know they were right still are riding this wave of success how crazy is it for them to come out and say right we're going to take this really obscure obscure title with a talking raccoon and try and make people believe in this universe nuts but they did and it was yeah. tons of fun yeah, it was rock and roll a lot more intelligent people than, than those i imagine <laughs> yeah so i just want to wrap up is there anything that's coming down the pipe for the t-brand studio that you can talk about or something that we can be on the lookout for um, well it's tough for me really because like i say i'm moving to new york mm-hmm. uh the international team are still you know carrying on and they're going from strength to strength they're pu- putting out some really really cool projects recently um they're doing a lot of uh, sort of white label stuff as well. It's not that's sitting on uh, outside of the New York Times platform, so it might be T Brand Studio produced, but not necessarily you know for the T Brand Studio audience. And I think that really is a good testimony to the quality of the stuff that they're putting out. And some of them even keep the sort of T Brand little ident at the beginning of the film because they're actually proud that it's created by uh, you know the team like that. Um, in terms of the stuff and. I don't actually know what I'm going to be working on in New York as mm. of now, but um, 
yeah, no doubt it's going to be dialed up at to eleven. <laughs> is there? This might be a dumb question, so uh, correct me. But does your approach change when you're working for like a British audience or a, a, like New York City audience, like an American audience, mm. or like I know obviously everyone's consuming the Marvel movies, right? So yeah. there is commonalities. But do you have to take in a different approach, or kind of like is there a certain slang you may not use or something? You know what 100%, I mean? Hundred percent, hundred percent, yeah. And I, I guess that's like. Uh, it's one it's one problem or one challenge for the editors, you know, the writers. Um, one challenge for design, like some countries read, you know, right to left, and that we we had a program that we did for Moet Hennessy recently, and we designed the whole page. We got it looking great, and then they wanted it translated into another language that read right to left. So the whole layout changed. Not just it's not just a case of switching the so the whole experience changed really, mm-hmm. and we had to consider that like what typeface would you use you know do, does this typeface have the characters that you need for a particular language so not just localization but even the audience you know like um promotion is a big one facebook is huge but you know in china it's not widely used as much as other social networks and there are a million things to consider um luckily like i said our audience dev team are, are fairly switched on so they they can point us in the right direction all right, you're, you're set up in New York City right now, or you're on your way, or I, this is my layover essentially in Toronto. So I flew in uh, on Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. I fly to New York on Thursday evening. Uh, start work on the Friday for a little bit of orientation, and then hit the ground running on Monday. Okay, best of luck in New York thank City. You. Yeah, and uh, thank you, Graham, for coming in. We covered a lot. We covered yeah. like uh, the branded content, the T Brand Studio. We covered Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any music recommendations too before we? Wrap up music because um, you'll be going from London to like New York City, yeah. so you got good music cities. Well, I, I thought about that because obviously, the, all of the like up and coming artists that I you know follow in the UK, I'll have to find a whole new scene really to follow in, in New York. But I guess there's a guy um, called Saint Raymond in the UK, he's quite cool, he's um, sort of like a throwback to the indie kid years. Um, there's another guy called Sam Henshaw, is really cool, he's a bit more bluesy, a little bit more soul. Um, he's like I think he's about 19, but he's got the voice of like a 60-year-old smoker. He's great. <laughs> yeah. um, and there's a guy called, I um, can't remember his name now. Totally gone. Okay. Maybe you can tweet it out. What's, uh, where are you on the Twitter? Or yeah, where? I'm on Twitter. It's uh, Graham MCUK, and that's on Instagram as well. Okay. And this I'm Sam Yunin. This has been My Summer Lair. You can follow me at my pal Jacob Sammy. Banks. Jacob Banks. That's his name. He came yes. to me. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. That's good. That's important. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. No, that's really important. So, but uh, yeah, thank you, Graham, for coming in and talking that's about all the stuff and sharing music and movies and uh, advertising and mm-hmm. marketing. So, thank you. Thank you.